The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. It is good to be in this place this morning. I was not here last year or last week. Uh, I was out of town, so even with 50 or so people, it is great to be in here. Um, And our sermon this morning is very much like our experience here. Uh, we're getting the taste of what we used to have and what we're really made for and what we're going to have, uh, we hope, sooner rather than later. But this is not the real thing, right? Uh, we're missing our church family. We're missing those of you who are at home. And yet, God brings His Word to us this morning, I think in a message that uh, is extreme, not only to where we are in COVID, not, but also where we are in, in our nation uh, with the elections and and all the issues facing us. So uh, let's go now to Isaiah chapter 40. As you're pulling that up, either in your Bibles or um, your phones or iPads, I also want to tell the folks at home to uh, prepare their communion elements. We will be um, uh, observing the Lord's Supper, partaking together, eating together uh, of the Lord's body and blood as His people. So be ready for that at the end. Um, As uh, Dr. Rhodes preached to us last week from Isaiah 40, I'm going to pick up there and continue on with verses 12 through 26. Uh, So hear now God's Word. Isaiah prophesied, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing, emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with Him? An idol! (laughs) A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When He blows on them, speaking of the rulers of the earth, when He blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. 
He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. This is the very Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our great God, this morning we beg You uh, to meet us right where we are, whether that's here in the gym at Streets Ministries or whether that is in our living rooms, our dining rooms, our, our kitchen tables, uh, maybe even the background of our family activity this morning. Um, God, we pray that You would meet us by the power of Your Spirit and You would give us the same loving rebuke that You through Isaiah gave Your people so long ago. Oh God, we need You to to work powerfully to lift our eyes up from the things that have weighed us down, from the the trials and tribulations, from those things that have uh, so rooted us in fear that we have reduced You to stubble and to the wickedness of men as God. So God, I pray that You would do a lot of reversing this morning. I pray that Your Spirit would come and You would turn our hearts to You that we would see that You are the mighty, supreme God who rules over all things in all times, over every single individual, over every circumstance, over every grain of sand, over every hair on our heads, over every circumstance that we face. And help us to see that You are bigger and You are better and You are a hope that brings life and healing Oh God, I pray this morning that You would come and enliven us with Your Word. Take me out of the way, oh God, and may we see Jesus and see Him only. And we pray this in His mighty name. Amen. Friends, this text is is powerful in that it helps us understand that what we're facing today is nothing new. A world of uncertainty. A world of trials and tribulations. Um, political leaders, shifting political leaders, the threat of other nations, the threat of pandemics, the, 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 the threat of job loss, the threat of home loss, the threat of everything that we face today is exactly what was going on in the lives of Israel, in the lives of Judah, in the lives of God's people when Isaiah made this prophecy. You see, the God's people were carried away into exile. And that sounds like just biblical language, but basically they were ripped from their homes, taken as slaves, taken as captives, treated as nothing, their lives not respected in the least, and and moved away from their homes, moved away from their families, moved away from all of their hopes and dreams, moved away from everything into a strange land, living under a ruler who had no regard for them. And God, it's important to see, God in Isaiah 40 does not let the people of God off. (laughs) He says, okay, your circumstances are not enough for me to give you a pass to live faithfully and to love powerfully. Your circumstances are not enough for me to give you a pass for you to complain and for you to to kick against me and for you to doubt my existence and for you to to walk away from my worship your circumstances are nothing compared to my glory and what you've done if you're living in fear and anxiety is you have you have brought me down and you've lifted others 
up, including your circumstances. And God says, don't do it. There is hope for you. There is hope for you. He tells us that He is our hope in the midst of the trials and circumstances of this life. Listen to Jeremiah 29. He uses Jeremiah to prophesy to the people of God in exile in Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I'm sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses. What are you talking about, God? We just lost everything. We don't have any... Build houses. Get up off your couches. Get up off of your self-pity. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives. I can't think about courting or I can't think of... Take wives and have sons and daughters. Oh, but I'm fearful to bring a child into this world. You take wives and you bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city. How can I love a city that hates me? You seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. You're telling me, God, to pray for these, these leaders that are oppressing me? Pray to the Lord on its behalf. No, I want a different leader. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. God tells them to get busy being the kingdom people of God. And friends, this is not some cruel um, calling this is what, what God is showing them is His power. He's not telling them to go do this on their own. He's telling them, look to me. And this is the kind of power I can give you. I can give you the power even to love those that, that hate you and spitefully use you. I, I can give you the power to love and serve and even pray for those who you naturally in your flesh would hate I'm that kind of God, and this is the kind of hope that I'm bringing to you. And yet time and time again, God's people in the Old Testament and God's church in our day says, no, our hope is in man. Our hope is in my president making it in. And the world's going to hell in a handbasket if my president doesn't get in. And God scoffs at His church. And He says, really? Is that how small you've made me? Is that how pathetic you've made me? Have you reduced me to one who serves the presidential elections of America? Have you reduced me to the one who has to give you this new job or you're going to abandon me? Have you reduced me to one that, that, that uh, has to serve your agenda in order for you to love me? Oh, no, I don't play that game, says God. I don't play that game. Why? Because He's cruel? No, because He loves us too much. He's not going to let us get away with reducing Him to a pea-sized God. And what Isaiah is doing is he is blowing it up. This is what he's trying to be, been trying to do throughout the entire prophecy. Listen to how, how uh, honest God is. Chapter 1, verse 3. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. You are dumb as donkeys. He said, you think this world is your crib. Even a donkey understands that their crib is not their crib. It's their owners. Even a donkey knows they're not in charge. He compares us, the people of God, to a donkey. And that's the problem. 
Because that's how we respond so much of the time. In the midst of trials, God gets small. Our problems get bigger. This reminds me of, of Paul. He's saying the same thing to the people of God in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you think your body's your own? You, you, think I don't, you think God doesn't have the authority to tell you how to use your sex? Well, let me tell you something. You're not your own. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So you honor God with your body. Don't tell me about your broke. Don't tell me what is moral and what is not. You serve me. I don't serve you. That's what Paul was saying. See, our problem, the problem of mankind is that we, we think we are our own and that God is indebted to us. This has real consequences even to our community. If we think God is here to serve us, then we see no obligation to serve each other. Our money's our own. Even church is there to serve me. Did I get anything out of the message today? It, it, do they have the programs that I... Do you see it? We become consumers. We don't feel any indebtedness to our employer. We don't feel any indebtedness to faithfulness over the long haul in any trial. Why? Because anything and everything is there to serve me. I'm not here to serve God and others. And this is what Isaiah says in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. How the faithful city has become a whore. <laughs> oh, that's not very polite, God. We've got a lot of explaining. To... That's how God views His people when we think that the world, that God and the world around us is here to serve us. So what's the cure? God says, look up. Look up. Look up. Look up at the heavens. Look around you. Open your eyes. Because we serve a God that is bigger and better than anything we face. Anything we face. Anything we face. And friends, when you and I begin to apply this, it is hard because our hearts are idol factories. We do serve and bow down to things. We think our lives depend on so many things. We think we can't exist with a lower income. We think we, we can't exist without our homes. We think we can't exist in a, a, a nation under Trump or a nation under Biden. We're split about 50-50. We think we can't... And yet God says, oh, oh look up. Look up. You don't understand. You're like one of those donkeys. And so the first thing we need to see, and the first thing that, that we are told in this passage, is that God stands infinitely above it all. Listen to verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. This so reminded me this week as I was studying it um, of Rachel, my wife, with our three daughters. One thing my wife did faithfully, and actually still does, um, is she did not let our girls get away with bad attitudes. I mean, a bad attitude was worse than a bad action. Uh, I mean, when, when she detected ingratitude, when she detected that, that they thought the world depended on, on them and they were the center of our house and that uh, me and, and, and she were there to serve them, oh my, you better back away. I did. I backed away because I knew what was coming. It was called the Rachel talk, the mama talk. 
And it was going down hard. And somebody was going to have their lunch handed to them, and it wasn't Rachel. But she did that, not because she hated them, but because she understood if they didn't get this one principle in life, that they weren't the sinner. That their lives were going to be miserable. That their lives were going to be terrible. And this is what God is doing. He's pulling us to the side. He's giving them us a Mama Rachel talk. And he's saying, who do you think you are? Listen to this. He says, who has measured the world? You know, basically verse 12. He, 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 he's saying he measures the world with the smallest of measurements. And just a few of the illustrations here. Um, he talks about measuring uh, the waters in the hollow of his hand. The hollow of his hand, right here. Do you know how much water is on this earth? I didn't. There is 326 million trillion gallons of water on this earth. Hollow of his hand. Just the hollow of his hand. He marked off the heavens with a span. What's a span? It's about nine inches. He stands over the, over the universe. He span, stands over this universe and he sees it like a little globe that he can palm in his hand and it's nothing to measure and it's nothing to control. This world is nothing because he is the creator God and he stands infinitely and powerfully over all things. And in verses 13 through 14, he says, who has taught God? Who, who, who to whom did he consult? And who made him understand? What he's saying is nobody taught God anything. All wisdom comes from him. And when he, in, the, in that culture, the Babylonian God was Marduk. And Marduk, in their creation story, was a God who had to consult other gods in order to create. And so this was hitting them. Basically, Isaiah was saying that your God, your Babylonian God, Marduk, is nothing compared to the one true God. He consulted nobody at any time. He is schooling them. He is, he is teaching them a lesson. It's like that, that high school basketball player that thought he was something, you know, wearing his letter jacket around school and walking like this all the time. It's like taking him and putting him on the court with Michael Jordan in his heyday and realizing he doesn't even have the, the, you know, um, the right to wear Jordan's shoes, much less be on the same court. That's what God is doing. Because God takes Michael Jordan on the court and says, you don't have the right to wear my shoes. I mean, that's what God is doing to his people. We don't understand. He rules supremely with ease over the nations. Verse 15 and 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Oh, but everything depends on this election. The nations are but a drop from a bucket. Oh, but, but we're afraid of China. Oh, but our relationship with Russia. The nations are but a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Blow them away. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing in emptiness. They don't even exist. It's not that he's not an intimidated by their power. He doesn't, even see, he doesn't even see their power. He is not intimidated, friends. That is our God. And fourthly, the worship of a lifetime pays for none of our sin nor fills him up in, in the least. 
This was a hard, little bit hard to take. I, had, I spent probably more time thinking through this one than anything. Listen, verse 16, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Dude, Lebanon was the, the most um, uh, tree-abundant region on the planet at that time. You know, it's like taking all the, the forests that international paper owns. That's what he's saying, you know. Uh, internet, the, all the, the holdings of international paper don't even suffice for fuel to get God's in. You can stack all the trees international paper has ever bought to make paper, and it's nothing. God doesn't even, it's, like a, it's not even a blip on the screen from his vantage point. Wow. And, and nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Oh God, but, but you count me good because I was so faithful to you because I sacrificed for... Are you, are you kidding me? Your sacrifices do not get God's attention. He is that kind of God. No, it took the very sacrifice of His Son to get His attention. That's how bad your sin is. And that's how high and lofty He is. What are your fears? Brothers and sisters, I went to school this week on mine. I'm preaching to myself. I'm not chiding you about this election. You think my hands aren't ringing? Do you think I don't want to see a nation that, that experiences justice and righteousness? Do you think? But friends, our hope is not in these two men. Your fear and anxiety is unfounded. This is what God is saying. This is not what Richard's saying. He is infinitely above it. So when we see that, we see that the true God, we see the true God, um, let, me, let me just read it. When we see the true God, the foolishness of our idolatry is exposed. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken me? Or what likeness compare with me. I love this. He asked the question, and then he, he plays the role of, of mankind. An idol! He asked the class a question. Who compares with, with God, you know? And then he kind of jumps in the student's seat. An idol! And then he just starts breaking it down. He says, oh yeah, well here's what the rich do. The rich go out and hire a goldsmith and they crash golds and they put some bling on, some chains. The poor that can't handle that or, or don't have the money for that, they go hire somebody to carve out of wood, you know, using the best wood they can find, you know, wood that doesn't rot. And what, what's the result? A thing that doesn't move. <laughs> Friends, we are still crafting idols. If you think you are not bowing down to idols in your life, you don't understand your heart. You are not self-attuned to your heart. We are worshipers by, by nature and none of us get away unscathed. All of us have idols. All of us are bowing down to the idol of approval. That's why we're wearing ourselves out. You know, what can we say in these days? What, what, is, what, what, what can we not say? What's inappropriate? What am I supposed to do? We're just constantly wearing ourselves out. Or we're putting our hearts on that new house. Or we're putting our hearts on that new job. We're putting our hearts on that, 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 that more money. We're, we're putting our hearts on, on beauty. We're putting our hearts on uh, bodies that are chiseled. We're putting our hearts on this, on that, on this, on that. 
And basically, what God is saying is, is that you're just setting yourself up for a real letdown. Because there's nothing in this life, even the good things, even marriage, even children, even homes, even jobs. We're made, we're to be participants in all these things, but these things cannot be God for us. Just ask these Olympians who have spent their entire lives preparing for the Summer Olympics of 2020. I read the story of one, a wrestler in the 143-pound um, category, Frank Molinero. He's, he spent his whole life training for this one, this one moment. And it was canceled. And he was so defeated, he said, I cannot wait another year. I can't do it. I've invested everything. To, to re-up for one more year of training means 800 workouts. And I'm not talking sitting at the table with a Big Mac in one hand, you know, and a three-pound weight in the other. We're talking workout till you pass out. Gone. I'm in an adult tennis league. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time, but in one of our matches this past month, a grown man got so frustrated that he took his tennis racket and threw it across the net during the game at one of our tennis players. A grown man threw his tennis racket at the head of one of our tennis players. You say, that guy's got issues. Friends, we all have issues. <laughs> I mean, what happened was that his identity, he was being threatened, he was being beat, he was being humiliated, and he could not take it. And friends, you can't either. Oh, I would just crumble if you lost what? I will just die if this happens. This is where God is going. He's going to the deepest recesses of our hearts and He's saying, look, whatever you think you can't live without, that is where I am your satisfaction. I am better. I am greater. You weren't made for these things. Only You were, ma you were made only for Me. These other things are blessings through which we get taste of Him. But when we reverse that order so as to uh, uh, hold these blessings to replace Him, that's when we begin to disintegrate emotionally and spiritually and physically. We can't worship even the best things in our lives, much less the things that really harm us. God shows us the foolishness. The foolishness. And then thirdly, God is... Uh, makes foolish our hope in nations and leaders. David Brooks wrote an op-ed piece, and I love David Brooks. Um, I read a lot of what he writes and have been following him a long time. But, but he does, he puts forth in one of his recent articles um, or op-ed pieces, um, basically that both the Republicans and Democrats, both of us are saying this is the election um, that will decide the fate of the nation forever. Now, there's, that's scary. I mean, it is scary that both sides are thinking that. So what's going to happen after the election, no matter who wins? Um, and, and yet, as I read that, I, I asked this question, do I, do, does God really care about that? Well, of course He cares. Of course He cares. But He cares about so much more. What he cares about is our loyalty. 
What he cares about is the worship of his people. What he cares about is his nation, which now is the church. And he is willing to let your candidate lose or that other candidate win to get more of your heart. He is willing to take anything from us or to allow the loss of anything in order to get more of our hearts because it's only by him getting more of our hearts that we are genuinely fulfilled and satisfied. And we genuinely find the one for whom we were made and that for which we were made. You see, friends, looking to Biden or Trump, we're looking to Biden or Trump to bring only what God can bring. The Christian answer is not to argue and fight over which candidate is God's choice, but to choose God as your trust and a political candidate as your president. Did you hear that? Let me read that to you. The Christian answer is not to argue and fight over which candidate is God's choice, but to choose God as your trust and a candidate as your president. The right response is not to not care. It's to worship the living God and to let Him be who He is, namely God. You see, God's choice of a candidate can be found all throughout the Bible Belt but it can't be found in Scripture. It has grieved me, and I'm, I'm running out of time, but it has grieved me to watch so many political, uh, excuse me, Christian leaders, some of whom I really respect, saying this is the Christian choice. And I think that might be more heretical and more dangerous than us putting our hopes in a candidate as the choice of God. I don't know the choice of God. And strike me down if I come forward and tell you that I do. Because only God knows what we need. Only God knows who He's going to use. But friends, He will use whomever He chooses for His good purposes. God works all things, all things, all things, all things for the good of those who love Him. Not some things, not the small things, all things for the good of those that love Him. If our God has to fight for power every four years, how in the world do we think that we can live with security and not anxiety and worry? And then fourthly and finally, God is incomparable to any and everything and any and everyone that we would look to. Verse 25, lift up your eyes. What, what do we do? Here's what you do. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Really? That's all we got to do? Yep. That's all you got to do. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Friends, we are told that there are 5,000 stars visible to the human eye on a clear night. But in our galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars. And then there are millions upon millions of galaxies. <laughs> and so God just sitting back in his lazy boy, calls him out every night. Billion, trillion, 
We can't even go there. We, our minds can't even comprehend how many stars there are. He knows every single one of them by name. He calls them each about each one by name. And that should blow our minds with how huge and mighty and omnipotent and supreme He is over all things. But friends, it should also help us understand how attentive and loving and merciful He is to every single event in our lives. He is the mighty God who cares about what you're going through. He's the mighty God that sees your suffering and your trials. He is a God that is not too great to notice you and, and a God who is too great to forget you. He's a God who, who is not too high and mighty to, to leave you behind and not notice you. He's not too busy to be attentive. No matter how old you are, no matter how young or old you are, He sees you, He knows you, He understands, He empathizes because He sent His own Son to experience all of the trials and all of the temptations that we experience. He gets it and He cares and when you're looking up, that's who you're looking up to. Not to this, this omnipotent God who reigns supremely over all things, but this omnipotent God who reigns supremely over all things and cares about your life. Who wants you to come to this table this morning and partake of His body and blood. <laughs> we have a God who looks at us with seductive eyes. People get freaked out when I use sexual illustrations in my sermons, but that's why I do it. Because that is the language of the Bible. Why do you think you want that boy or that girl or that whatever to look at you that way? Because you were made for a God to look at you with seductive eyes. It's not the idea of the world. It's not the idea of Satan. And Jesus is the only one that can give you the look that you were made for. And if you reject Him for a job or a new car, the dream of success, how pathetic, how pathetic is that dream? Would we come to Jesus this morning and say yes to Him? Would we come saying, I, I repent of my fear of this pandemic. No, it's not stupid to wear a mask. I am wearing a mask. I'll wear it off of this stage. Why? Because I love you. And I hope you love me because 89% of people that have died are 55 and over and I turned 56 two weeks ago. So wear your blasted mask, okay? But my hope is not in you wearing a mask. I don't go to bed at night. Well, maybe a little bit. But I don't, you get the point. I don't go to bed at night anxious over who's wearing a mask and who's not because my God reigns in glory. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? I don't go to bed at night fretting over the election. Do I care? Yes! But at the end of the day, I know who reigns over whoever will be in the White House for the next four years. Does that mean it's insignificant? Does that mean we don't fight? Does that mean we don't vote? No, vote! But don't put the, the, the weight of your soul on the outcome of the election. Put the weight of your soul on the God who can sustain it and handle it. Look up, child. Look up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You. That you look at us seductively. <laughs> Thank you that you want us. You want to possess us as your own. You want to, to wrap us in your arms and to give us the kind of security that only you can give us, the very security that we were made for. Oh God, would you give your people that freedom 
And give it to me this morning, O God, even as we come to the table, even as we participate in our homes, God, renew our hope and renew our love for you in light of your abundant and omnipotent love for us. We give our hearts to you now, and we do so in Jesus' name. May we respond to the God of this message by bringing our tithes and offerings. You can do so. I think they'll flash up how to tithe by text or get on the realm or go to our website, downtownchurch.com. Um, and think about, think about what God wants you to turn away from that you might turn to Him this morning in a more holistic and real functional way. Amen.